Hello everyone, welcome to, well, I don't know if this is really geekery in general or just something kind of on its own thing, but I am Al and reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Yes, I am still alive. I just haven't podcasted in a while because, you know, as we announced a while ago, I Chad and I have been working on the Caught in the Backrooms game, so been busy with that and it's... Yeah, it's kind of sapped me of creativity, so I haven't always had the the energy and motivation to go do an actual podcast. But we'd like to announce that the Caught in the Backrooms role-playing game is now available on DriveThruRPG as a PDF, and the print version is due to be released in July to premiere at uh, Phoenix Con up here in beautiful Appleton, Wisconsin. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about the process we went through to create this game and some of the other, uh, our thoughts behind it. So to join me is my friend and co-author, Mr. Chad Knight. So how's it going today, Chad? It's going. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm here and I'm going to do the best with what I've got. So before we begin, why don't you tell everyone how working on this game with me was the most positive, rewarding experience of your life. Everything went super smooth. There was never any disagreements or any arguments between us. And at no point during this whole process did you ever feel the urge to come down to Appleton and smack me in the face. I can't do this, Al. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a it's a process. It, it truly is a process, and there are moments, and there were several moments, actually, where you and I <laughs> butted heads. But that said, I think the final product was worth every one of those mini to one or two major arguments we had. And our friendship is still intact. Right. Now, as far as authoring role-playing games go... I've been doing this for a while. I have experience creating games both on my own. And back in the day, I used to be part of a small company called Lasalian Games, where I worked with three other friends of mine. And I know looking back at some of the things we went through when designing that game and writing the various products, honestly, sometimes I am amazed that we came through with our friendships more or less intact. Uh, Some of us, it was a little less intact for the others, but not going to quite get into that. But I'm happy to say that I am on speaking terms with my former business partners. But we're not here to look back. We're going to look forward. So let's talk to my current business partner, Chad. I This is my first foray into putting together a published works, but I've been writing games per se, or adventures, or campaigns, or whatever you want to say for, you know, working on 30 years now, so, but this is completely different. This is not the same thing. (laughs) Actually, when I first met you, you were working on what was going to be a board game that unfortunately never ended up going anywhere, so do you want to talk a little bit about that, or is that something you'd rather uh, keep hidden from the knowledge of the general public? No, it was it was um, a game that uh, involved both zombies and roller derby. If What's you there not believe. to like about that? I don't know. But uh, these days, it just takes up space at the bottom of my closet. 
it was one of those things. Have you ever written something, Al, or done something where you start doing the play testing? And in this case, the biggest flaw with the game is we found out that there was no way to end the game. It just kind of circled and cycled itself out. So, yep. So that game was called Zombie Roller Derby, which I remember seeing you test it at a convention, mm-hmm. but I don't actually, I never actually got a chance to play it. Well, like I said, it just kind of cycled itself out, um, and and the game would never end. And a lot of the feedback we got was, you know, it's a great game, but you've got you've got to come up with some sort of a mechanic to end the game. Um, and then the the guy I was working with, I can't remember exactly what happened. I think he ended up he was uh, military and he got called up. It just kind of fell apart from there. So. Now, and as I recall, didn't you have this intent where if the game was successful that you wanted to create a, like, uh, a spin-off series where there would have been, like, zombie beach volleyball and zombie yeah, football? Yeah, because and... the, the uh, rules form, the rule structure that we came up was it would have been easy to tweak it to do different skins on it, basically. But the whole concept was that zombies existed as we think of them but if they were if they were trained they were they were trainable you could train them for doing the games like people didn't play any longer because it was too dangerous so roller derby which granted they still do but you know that was the idea the concept that going forward in time all these high contact sports would disappear so that you would just train your zombies to still give this entertainment to the people out there in the world. I have to confess, though, zombie beach volleyball would have been an unusual choice. Do you really want to see a bunch of decaying bodies and bikinis and, and, uh, and speedos playing volleyball? Well, I don't think, I don't think beach volleyball was actually one of the options. I think we had talked about football and soccer. Okay. I thought um, I, I, that. I, I might be mistaken. I thought you mentioned like zombie beach beach volleyball or something like that. But and I'm not saying that idea was never kicked around, but I don't remember zombie beach volleyball. Maybe you're trying to shut the image of a bunch of, bunch of decaying bodies in bikinis and thongs out of your mind. I don't know, but this is not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> yes, let's move on to more pleasant subjects caught in the back rooms, which we actually just got the proof copies today. Um, so we're looking forward to that because what we're going to do is give a, a final read through of the the physical copy before we start putting the print copies into production. And the reason we do that is because, well, the nice thing about PDF, which is now offered through DriveThruRPG.com, is if it turns out there is a typo or something that needs to be corrected, it's easy enough for me to upload a new file notify people or purchased it we corrected a couple of typos or spelling errors or whatever and they can download a new copy at their leisure but can't quite do that with uh physical products that would be correct i mean that is something where you want to make sure you have all those typos taken care of before the books hit the shelves and uh yeah that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple weeks reading through finding the typos Al will fix the layout, and then he'll upload it, and we'll we'll do it again. Yep. So the cover of Caught in the Backrooms was done by our friend Casey Wilson, 
And if you were, any of you have heard of or seen my game Strange Things Afoot, she did the cover and some of the interior art for that one. So the cover for the book, we actually talked about a few different ideas. And one of the things that was big was the discussing the angle. So we have it as more an upward shot where you see two people in the foreground, a man who looks like he's been injured and he has an improvised weapon, and then a woman who looks in a little bit better shape. And then in the background, you can see a claw reaching from behind a corner. So I thought she did a really nice job with the cover. Yeah, I really, I do like the cover. Um, as she was going through the steps of developing it, there was a few times I'm like, I'm not sure if this is what we're looking for. But when it all came together in the end, I I thought it looks, uh, looks pretty amazing, if you ask me. Let's go back to talking about actually writing the game. So, Chad, this is your first attempt to actually write a role-playing game with the intent to be published. Correct. What are some of the things you found challenging about developing this game, other than the fact that you had to work with me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, um, there were moments where working with you was the challenge. And I get it. You've spent a lot of years working on your own with nobody to answer to. But I think, for me, the biggest challenge is not, you know, it's never the story. It's never, it's... It's the minutiae. It's the small details. And when we started this, Al, what was the one thing I told you? I don't write rule sets. I, I can't. I've tried. That's why I always work on projects with other people. I find people that can write the rule set because I have ideas. I can tell you this is how I want it to work. But to actually lay that out and put that rule set down, that is not a skill set that I have developed over my life. You've played with me in role-playing games, um, and anybody that's listening to this that has played with me in games that I run, I tend to ignore rules to a certain degree. They are there as guidelines, but my whole concept of role-playing is the story. And because of that, I have never developed that skill of the rules and writing the rules and you know i've never been a rules lawyer ever I, I i bet you you could speak to anybody i've ever gamed with and i've never went well let's look in the book well it says here on page the uh third paragraph on page 72 right that is not me that i to me the story is much more important than the rules and that is the way i came at this project too the story, now granted, it's a rule book, so the story is minimal, but we did try to put story in along with the rules. And that was my focus, was the story, is okay, let's create a feel for this world. Let's create the world that this is going to be in. Now granted, we had a starting stone with the Backrooms Wiki, but we have taken that base idea and we have given it i i guess for uh, what i like to call like the soul of the game we've given it a feel we've added to that wiki we have given it some soul we've taken we've added some horror concepts to it we've added a sanity aspect to it and we're making it mesh with what's there already and i think that's going to be the charm of the game 
But that's the way I came at it. Now, how about you, Al? What, when you sit down to do a game, and specifically this game, because I can't remember for sure where the concept, I think you brought the concept to me that, you know, let's, let's, or I, I can't really remember. Did you bring the concept or did I? I did because we, back in, I think it was January of 2021, we did an episode called Gaming in the Backrooms, where we talked about, okay, if you were going to use the backrooms as the setting for a a role-playing game, what would you do? And I had kind of teased the idea that I was actually thinking of it, and then you decided for some reason, maybe you're a glutton for punishment, I don't know, but... I think that's what it is. <laughs> you decided you wanted to help me out with this. Um, so we started working on it, and I'd have to say whenever I develop a new system, for me it is always working from the rules first, because uh -huh. while it is important to have a good story in there, my opinion is you do need the rules as a foundation. I personally like a little bit more flexibility with rules as opposed to, and simplicity as opposed to more hard and fast concrete rules. I like trying to give a game master a little bit of room to work with. One of the challenges with Caught in the Backrooms is because we are working from information presented on the wiki sites, which is interesting is because there's actually a couple different Backrooms wikis that I'm familiar with. There was the original one on fandom.com, but then that one, I guess they didn't, it became a little bit like a Wild West where there was a lot of stuff going on. There wasn't as much control over the input. And then it, there's also the Wikidot site, which is considered the official, though that one is a bit more curated where you have to get permission to, to add a page before you actually start putting it out there. Also, this is one of the challenges I've noticed working on the level guide because there's going to be more to the game than the core rule book. Mm -hmm. The core rule book has about like 15, 16 common entities, including a, a couple of original ones. There's also, um, we talked about level zero through two, as well as a level called the hub, but then we have two other books in the works right now. Chad is going to be taking over what's going to be called the the Wild Warrior's Guide to Entities. Yeah, we, we might be talking about that, but that's what it's named as right now. Um, it's going to be similar to like the Monster Manual from Dungeons & Dragons. So it's going to be have more entities, both stuff from the back rooms and then stuff from the, uh, you know, that we create. Plus, I want to I wanna point out there, Al, beyond that, it's going to be like a field survival guide. It's going to be written by different organizations from the back room that have run into these creatures. So there is going to be a story aspect to it as well as just a monster manual. Yes, we are trying to move beyond just boring uh, text. And we're also going to do the same thing with the level guide, which right now the tentative name is the Track Mapper's Guide to Levels. Just to let you know what those two those terms mean, one of the organizations of the backrooms is called the Major Explorer Group, or MEG for short. Their goal is to map out and explore the backrooms as well as assist survivors. And there's different units or divisions with, within the MEG. 
And the track mappers are the people who are primarily concerned with mapping out the levels. There's another team called Compass Point. They're the ones that find the entrances to new levels. They do the preliminary studies to determine how safe it is to explore. And then once they're done, then the track mappers go in for long-term study. The Wild Warriors are a group of members of the, the major explorer group whose primary responsibility is to fight hostile entities and protect settlements from them. Um, so the it's actually been a challenge working from the wiki uh, while writing on the uh, the level guide. I mean, first I can tell that by reading through some of these entries, you can tell that it's written by people from outside the United States because some of the levels will refer to like miles and feet and inches while other pages will will refer to kilometers and meters so you know you mm -hmm. got that that we have to kind of unify in there but also since it's a wiki site things can change i know there's at least two levels where the way i wrote them is not the same as it is on the wiki at this moment levels 42 and i think the other was level 29 um for some reason those levels were changed after i you know wrote the stuff in the book now i could go back and rewrite them but i kind of like the way they are now <laughs> fair enough i uh you know and that's the thing is there's not a lot of description about the entities so it's kind of a clean slate in that way you know, you and I figured out a way to gauge how dangerous a creature is, you know, gauge what its experience is worth and that kind of stuff. But as far as, you know, their special abilities and things like that, there's some of them are kind of hinted at, but some of them we just make up whole cloth. Oh, yeah. Which is great as far as writing that kind of stuff. Right now, I'm still in the planning of of the writing at this point i'm trying to come up with concepts for creatures that are not on the wiki the ones on the wiki will be pretty simple you know you just go through them you pick out which ones you want to use and you adjust them for the game it's the ones that we're creating and those are the ones that honestly um with what's been done so far those are the ones that i hold the most pride in because it's one thing to adjust something that exists, but it's a whole nother thing to create an entity from whole cloth. Exactly. And I know with the back rooms, one of the things that's it's challenging because in Dungeons and Dragons and like a typical fantasy role playing game, you have a lot more to deal with. I mean, you have to think of things like spells and magic items and, you know, magical artifacts where that stuff generally doesn't exist in the works of most, you know, backrooms fiction. So I think monsters have the potential to be very dangerous because you can't, if you see a horde of enemies approaching, you can't just fireball them all like you could in Dungeons and Dragons. Right. It's, it's true. I like to call it a gritty uh, horror based RPG. Cause that's really what it is. It's, it's very, it's got a feel of horror. It's got a feel of like a noir game. It's got a feel of something 
different. And that's one of the things I really like about this game is it doesn't feel like anything I've ever played before. Well, another thing that's a challenge with working from the wiki, especially with in regards to the levels, you mentioned before we kind of have a blank slate. And that's very true as well with the, the levels because some of the levels didn't really have a lot of material listed for them. So I had to pull the one time-honored trick out of my experience as a game master. Make it up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the drawback to make it up is, so you create a level. You really like this level. Or I create an entity, and I really like this entity. And I know you know exactly what entity I'm talking about. I don't know if I want to drop it here. But then it's like, how many more times can I use this concept, even mixed up with other concepts, before it becomes trope, you know? That is true, and that's always tricky about anytime you're developing something is, yeah, you don't want to go, you, you don't want to recycle the same ideas too many times, otherwise things get boring and uninteresting. If you want to talk about the entity that you developed that you're really proud of, you know, feel free. That's Don't have a specific structure for this episode. <laughs> Right, so so it is an entity. It is called the Third Eyes, or you know, um, the TEs, or whatever you want to call them. But basically, my concept for them was kind of the the random healer, if you want to talk D and D terms. So they are a non-aggressive entity that is helpful. They will help non-aggressive, non-combative groups of adventurers in the back rooms. Um, and they can do that in, in a multitude of ways. They A lot of times they will have almond water, which is basically, to equate to D&D, a healing potion. They will have other types of healing because when we say gritty noir, we're talking, you know, they might have adrenaline shots. They might have bandages. They might have things like that. I mean, real world things. There is... Almond water is the closest thing you get to doing, here's a healing potion. Yeah. And also with like injuries, one of the rules we have, and I actually carry this over from Strange Things Afoot, another game I designed because I thought it makes sense. After you've suffered an injury from combat, you only have a certain number of rounds to heal it. Um, otherwise, you know, the, the injury, you can still bandage it up but you're not going to get any HP back from it. You know, it's not like, okay, I was just stabbed with a knife now an hour later. Okay, now I'm going to bandage it up and get those five hit points back. <laughs> right, right. You know, and that's another thing we did. Like, hit point amounts are lower than you're going to see in most D&D &D games. So it gives that real-world feel to a not-real-world place. The fact that the back rooms as a whole uses liminal spaces for just about everything. It gives us a lot of freedom to express our creativity through a liminal space. That has actually made the process really fun. The things about the process that aren't fun are when you don't want to create today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you try to force yourself to create today and then it's like, well... That was three hours I spent, and this is garbage. I mean, you know, there were there are entities that I have written that you have not seen because 
they ended up being garbage. And I may go back to them and tweak them, and they may see the light of day. But right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't show them to my business partner. <laughs> and, and you know that's okay. They'll you'll you'll show them to me when it's time. And I mean, I completely understand it. Trust me, as all the games I've developed over the years, there have been plenty of times where I worked on an idea, I developed something, and then I'm like, okay, we're going to hit the delete button because I'm not really happy with how that turned out. Or Actually, mm-hmm. I don't always delete stuff. I just kind of put it in a file, a temp file that I usually don't ever look at ever again. <laughs> yep, that's where those entities are. They're not gone. They're just not available. <laughs> Now you mentioned with the rule set, what are it's different than a lot of things you've uh, you've encountered in your years of gaming. Essentially, mm-hmm. the way the rules work is it's a skill based system. So you have different skills like melee combat, unarmed combat, um, electronics, explosives, things like that, and you roll anywhere from a d6 to a d12 whenever you want to use that skill. And you have to get a five or better in order to succeed. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. other mechanics we incorporated are penalty shifts and bonus shifts. So if you're doing something under the worst conditions possible, you might take a penalty shift, which means you roll the next die lower. So if you normally roll a D8, you'd have to roll a D6. If you roll normally roll a D6, then you go to a D4. And in that case, you have to roll a four in order to pass. No Mm -hmm. other modifiers apply. We also have bonus shifts where if you're doing something under favorable conditions, you roll the next die up. So if you, again, you normally roll a D8, you would roll a D10. If you normally would roll a D12, well, then you roll 2D6. So I'd have to say in a way that was kind of a challenging idea to work with because we don't have a great range of numbers to work on. But... Honestly, I think with playtesting, it did actually work out fairly well. Yeah, I, I think it did. Um, I was a little leery on it because I am such a die 20 guy. The fact that we don't use a die 20 in this game, you know, that's the only die, die in the base set that we don't use. And I don't miss it. You know what I'm saying? It's... Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, you know, because we have a target number, which is five, that makes you either either makes you succeed or don't. And it doesn't matter what die you're rolling. So if you're rolling a die 12, your chances of succeeding are a lot higher than if you're rolling a die six or a die eight even. And that's kind of how we level characters, if you want to call it that, is they do it through skills and how good their skills are. Yeah, and another thing that we had to be very uh, mindful of are how many skills grant modifiers. Because mm-hmm. I think right now the about the best you can have is generally going to be a plus two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in order to get that, you'd have to have a couple different skills. Though once you get to a certain level, you always get a plus one to all your roles. Just because... You know, after you've been around a while, naturally actions are going to be easier. So I, the people we play tested it with seemed to like it. and But it was definitely challenging because it's a lot different mechanic than what I'm used to working with. But I decided for the Backrooms game, we wanted to try to make it a very simple, flexible rule set. 
Right. And I and I and I think that by doing that, that both satisfies the fact that I like simple games and when games are very I like to call them crunchy when they're very number intensive, I modify them anyway to make them less crunchy. And you don't have to do that with this game. You don't have to guess. Oh, oh. You know, it's like with D&D. You roll a die 20, you do your modifiers, and you go, okay, I hit this armor class, and you have to guess. You don't have to do that anymore. You know what your target is. Your target never changes. The only time it changes is when you roll a die 4, and then it just is a 4. You have to hit a 4. You know, other than that, your target never changes. It's not like, oh, um, for example, um, you're attacking a party goer, which is one of the entities. You need to hit a five to hit your to hit the party goer. Okay. Well, what about this unique character called Fingers? Well, guess what? Fingers is a lot stronger than a party goer, but you still only need a five to hit him. Yeah. You're gonna have to hit him more times to kill him or to make him run off or whatever. But that base of what you need to hit is always the same. Now, you might have a negative modifier based on your dm because the dm can adjust uh targets uh for certain you know certain reasons you mean but it's gm not gonna... though as in game master not not dungeon master <laughs> correct did i say dm you said dm but that that's totally understandable because and i think a lot of people know what you mean because i think dungeons and dragons is kind of like the entry it's kind of like oh, yeah. the gateway drug of role-playing games. A lot of people, not everyone, of course, but a lot of people start with Dungeons & Dragons, so they did hear DMs. Did you start DMs. with Dungeons & Dragons? Yes, I did. I did not, but that's okay. That's a story for another, that's a story for a different time. Okay, so back on topic here. Yeah, I mean, so I think the rule set is easy to understand. It, there's not a lot of variance to it. So I think even people who haven't run games a whole lot, it's a good game to tip your toes into, you know, running a game, being a game master, as well as it's a lot of fun to play. And, you know, people are going to say, oh, well, yeah, but you guys are just trying to sell this. Yes, but in all truth, it is also a lot of fun to play. And the and the set the the rule set is straightforward and pretty pretty damn pretty damn simple so another aspect of character creation that i personally have never seen anything like this it's called single sentence character generation so we designed this well actually this was a character generation method i had a, an idea for for a different game which may or may not be released someday but the way single-sentence character generation works, or at least how it's intended, is it's intended for a situation where, let's say you have a new player, and they haven't had a chance to buy the book and or see a copy of it and read through it, but maybe the game master wants them to get a character right away so they're not spending, you know, they're not spending a lot of time reading through the book and deciding what skills do I want. Mm -hmm. well, what you do is you... The player tells the game master what they're envisioning for their character in a single sentence. Like uh, in the rule book, one of the characters we give an ex example is a stunt woman who special or a stunt man, I forgot which, 
who specializes in sword fights. So then, let's say that's your character. You're a Hollywood stuntman who specializes in sword fight scenes. You're damn right I am. (laughs) Well, the game master would then have something to work with. So, okay, this person's probably in pretty good physical shape, probably pretty agile, probably really good with a sword, and then they create the character, and then um, the player... See, what the way character generations works is you have um, a certain number of character points to spend. Now, when you're using the single-sentence character generation method, it is possible that you have more than the normal points, but you have to earn those points back before you can learn any new skills. Mm-hmm. Um, the normal amount is 30 points. So let's say for single sentence character generation, the game master spends 33 points. Well, that means you start out with negative three character points. You can't learn anything else until you've paid back those negative three. So it does balance out. So I just thought that was a helpful way to bring new players into a campaign. So that way they don't have to spend a lot of time pouring over a rule book. I truly like the system. I truly like the vision of the game and you know it's not like anybody that knows me knows i'm not going to lie about these things i mean you and i had some knockdown drag out discussions we'll call them discussions (laughs) that is being very very nice (laughs) about certain aspects of the game um certain things that you didn't like um and certain things that i had definite strong ideas about and usually we came to a middle ground or it became a i'm not going to give up on this and so the other person adjusts to that to that mindset and that's and that's the thing about working with other people you're not always going to get your way as much as i always want to get my way you make a good point because one of the things about designing a game on your own Yeah, you have complete control and freedom, but then you also don't have someone to come in and say, you know, that idea probably isn't as good as you like to think it is. And I know Mm -hmm. there were a few ideas I had that you actually came up with some valid points. I'm like, okay, we'll change it. So Mm -hmm. that is one of the nice things about designing a game with another person is you've got that interaction. You know, you've got that feedback. So... You know, hopefully you've got someone, of course, who's honest and they're not going to be a yes man saying, yes, this is great. Yes, this is awesome. You know, even when the idea might not. (laughs) You found out, Al, I am not a yes man. Nope. (laughs) Uh, So and, and neither are you. I mean, there were things that I brought to the table and you're just like, what are you smoking, dude? What are you smoking in? Can I have some? Can I have some just to see if this then makes sense to me? That was a joke, ladies and gentlemen. We're not encouraging or condoning the use of illegal substances. Well, now that the audience knows a little bit more about the game, let's talk about where they can find some more information. So we did create a website. Actually, Chad created it. www.caughtinthebackrooms.com. So why don't you talk a little bit about the website? Okay, so the website is both informational and it also gives you ability to without going to drive well actually you do go to drive through rpg but right on the home page there's a there's a buy the pdf button it was actually kind of fun 
I've built one or two websites before this. I am not by any means a professional website builder. Um, but I think it turned out pretty well. Um, it, you get a lot of fun looking at liminal spaces and uh, pictures of Al. He's on every page, quite literally <laughs> yes. every page. I didn't ask for that, but the reason my picture is on the page is we decided it would be fun to add some background music. Um, unfortunately, the web server we're going through, it doesn't give us a way to automatically play the music, but there's a little me media player with my picture by it. And then if you click the play button, it'll play a song that I made. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's really kind of neat. Of course, we've got Casey on there and links to all her stuff. And there's actually, for the website only, I had found this artist out of Manila uh, in the Philippines that just took a picture that screamed the back rooms to me. So we used his picture, his information's on there as well. Uh, super great guy. He is a professional artist. And when I asked him to use the picture, he's like, do it. Thanks to him. I can't think of his name right off the top of my head right now. But go to the website. Go check out his stuff. He does a lot of cityscapes and things like that. Um, really cool stuff. So Also, if you do go to the website or if you go to the drive through RPG site, you can download a copy of the beta rules. Now, the beta rules does not include the full game, but it gives you enough to give you a general idea of what you can expect. So if you think it sounds interesting, please check out the beta rules. It's available for free because one of the reasons I do that, honestly, is because I want people to get a little bit of a taste of the game before they decide whether they want to invest money in it or not. And you can also get uh, character sheets on there. And then we've got links to we got links to the wiki. Uh, we got links to Al's full uh, drive-through RPG uh, website. And we also have a few select products projects that have been completed that are on the website as well. So we're going to wrap this episode up, but before we go, I'd just like to talk about one other project I'm working on for Caught in the Backrooms. Now, we already talked about a couple of the future books we have, the Track Mappers Guide to Levels and the Wild Warriors Guide to Entities. I am currently in the process of making an album called The Backrooms Vibe, and it's going to have several songs that are inspired by either different levels of the back rooms, certain situations, or different uh, different entities you might encounter. Now, some of the pieces are actually done. Some of them I'm still doing a little bit of tweaking on. So to end this episode, what I'd like to do is play a medley of the 10 songs that I have so far. I do have some of these up on the Point of Insanity game studio youtube channel so if you want to check out the full you know song feel free uh, i'll eventually make it available probably through like Bandcamp and drive through rpg but let's end the show by taking a listen to a medley of music from the backrooms vibe and i'd have to say it's been challenging making this because i'm trying to use different styles i've always been a, a heavy metal fan but some of the songs are a bit more ambient in nature. There's one that I would probably say is a bit more new age. There's one that's a little 
a little bluesy. And my favorite track, Lord of the Redlands, which is about the entity Koran on level 73, that one's trying to have a an epic fantasy power metal feel to it. So any closing thoughts before we play the music and end this episode? Uh, check out the website, www.inthebackrooms.com. And I have to disagree with you about my favorite track at this point. My favorite track is Sanctuary of the Third Eye, which is more of a new age feel to it. But I like it. So with that said, I'd like to thank you all for listening. And make sure you don't clip out of the bounds of reality because you just might end up in the back rooms. <laughs>